Are you here? <laughs> of course you are. You're here because it's exactly where you're supposed to be, listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. Welcome, and thank you for being here. The R. Scott Bryan interview with musical performances was recorded and broadcast on radio in 2007. We've been waiting for the right moment to make this available again to you all. R. Scott Bryan's a man who is undoubtedly a favorite of many of you listeners. Now, if you haven't heard his music, you are in for a treat. R. Scott Bryan is a percussive player. Percussion, drums, and rat-a-tat-tat, performing on the congas. He also plays guitar, sings, and a passionate songwriter. He was a member of the Peter Mayer Group and joined Peter Mayer during the holiday season on the Stars and Promises show. R. Scott Bryan has worked with many artists, including Sheryl Crow. In recent years, he was a member of the Almond Betts Band and Devon Almond Project. Not only will you hear our exclusive interview with R. Scott Bryan, but he plays and sings for us, without a doubt. He gave us one of the best interviews we've ever had. Wait till you hear one song he performs on which he seemingly plays two instruments at the same time. Ooh! Now, you may be able to help R. Scott Bryan out a little bit. At the moment, R. Scott Bryan's recovering as he's been through a lot medically. There's a wonderful medical fund, and we're asking all our friends and fans to help out as little or as much as you can on GoFundMe. We'll include a link for you to do so on the show notes and on the YouTube description. It's called Drumming Up Funds for R. Scott Bryan Medical Fund. Oh, and while you're on YouTube... Don't forget to subscribe to the Paul Leslie's YouTube channel. And with that, it is time to start the show. Let us know what you think of our Scott Bryan's interview and performances. Okay? Today we're joined in our little studio with Mr. R. Scott Bryan. And I do thank you for making the time to do this. Thanks for having me. So you're out here performing with Peter Mayer on the Stars and Promises tour. You also have your own unit called R. Scott, Brian, and Friends. We're going to talk a little bit about your musical history. You have an upcoming album coming out. So we'll start from the beginning. Where are you from? I'm from St. Louis. I live there pretty much. Well, moved there. My dad was in the service, so I was actually technically born in San Diego. When did you start making music for a living? Well, I was starting to make money making music when I was about 14 or 15. I was playing drums for guys that were like seniors and freshmen in college and stuff like that. So that kind of, I was playing before I was able to drive. They had to schlep me around and stuff and convince my mom to buy me a drum set. And I did that for a while and, and was also playing guitar at the time, just working on things. But I didn't really get into doing that out till I was oh, probably about 20, 21. And then I was out. I mean, I'd been playing and was actually doing a little session work already. But as far as getting out and doing like a solo gig and that kind of stuff with the guitar, I did that, I guess, starting about 20 years old. A lot of people will know you through the Peter Mayer group where you play percussive instruments like mm -hmm. the congas. Mm -hmm. How did you get interested in, in that kind of music? 
Well, I've always loved the drums. I mean, that was really, I guess, my first love, which probably for a lot of kids, you know, when they're first getting into things, it's easy to think about banging on something. You know, it's, a, it's the most direct form of making some kind of sound. So I guess drums have always kind of been a, a thing for me. There's a picture somewhere of me, I think, when I'm probably about four years old, sitting behind some little kid set of drums that I got for Christmas one year and been around pianos all my life and actually started learning to play guitar on a baritone ukulele, which is a little bigger than a regular ukulele. It's four strings, but it's like the top four strings of a guitar, so you could kind of at least start getting the chords right. For the little hands, it worked out good, and they had nylon strings, so that, that made it a little easier. used to play that all the time just to kind of get into stuff. I guess I've always just been kind of a general nuisance when it comes to that. You know, if something was around, I was playing around with it. As far as conga players, who would you have to give the props to? Who would you say that's a hellacious well, conga player? Interestingly, with, with congas in particular, there's a lot of great players out there. I mean, the guys in Santana and all this. But what's really interesting, and life's funny that way, when I was learning and wanting to really pick up technique and do stuff, I listened to Ralph McDonald a lot. And he was really the guy that I listened to because he was real clean, real articulate, very tasty. Really, at the time in St. Louis, there wasn't anybody around that I knew or who to go to to learn or take lessons from, so I just kind of picked it up. I think LP had an album out at that time that was a Ralph McDonald thing, and he went through all kinds of different stuff, and there was you know music with it. So that was the way I kind of got started. I used to listen to Erto Moreira a lot, too, who's a, more of a Brazilian percussionist. And he was real good with a lot of the little hand things and stuff and a little more. Now, he was more on the jazzy free side, you know. So between those two guys, that's probably where I picked up most of the influences, you know, with percussion. I don't know. Just tried to be a sponge whenever you heard anything that was cool or sounded good or whatever, then just sort of latched on to it. What kind of music did you grow up listening to? Well, the Beatles, certainly. Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Chicago Transit Authority, actually, at the time when it first came out. A lot of various things that I just... I used to play trumpet, and I started in grade school in fourth grade playing trumpet, switched to French horn in seventh grade through high school. So I had kind of the formal music there. I had sort of the garage band stuff going with the guitar and the drums. And just listening, yeah, there was, oh, the doors, all I mean, it was all the early 70s, late 60s, you know, all that stuff was probably the biggest influence. I think vocally, the Beatles and probably Crosby, Stills, and Nash were, were big ones. And I was always in love with harmonies, so like whether it was Chicago or just some of the different groups that just had really interesting harmonic sense, that was always interesting. And then later on got into sort of the, the fusion stuff and the... Oh, the Chick Koreas and the Return Forevers and, you know, all the different things going on at that time with Larry Carlton or who are Steely Dan was a big deal for a while. So you kind of go through the, the chain. <laughs> you have your own release out on the Little Flock label. Got a lot of great songs, a lot of bluesy kind of stuff, which, you know, a lot of people may think th that know you as a conga player. They may think that they're going to get like a, a conga oriented album. Right. But a lot of bluesy stuff. The one song that really grabbed me was the, the first song on the track, right, on the album. And so maybe you'd like to play that for all those listeners out there. Sure, that's, that's Light of Day. That's actually one that uh, uh, Todd Wolf and I used to do in a group for a while. He actually came up with the basic premise of it, and we worked on it and recorded it and everything originally for a different project on A&M Records. And then A&M changed, a lot of things went different. We'd been working with Sheryl Crow for a while, so we got together and uh, we're working on things. 
He was on the East Coast. I was in the Med- Midwest. There was some different things that had happened in my life that kind of made it. I needed to be around the Midwest for a while. So it just, the timing wasn't right to, to have that work that way. And so for me, it worked out great in that I needed to get an album out, partly just to get some things out. There was just a lot of stuff going on at that time. I'd lost my wife to cancer, have three kids. There was just a whole rash of things that just sort of hit all at once. So really, the album was kind of a labor of love to deal, I think, in a lot of ways. But yeah, it was, it was fun. And uh, yeah, light of day. So Todd, this one's for you. Sunshine come burning, burn through this haze. Fill my heart with hope, bring better days. Dark clouds all around, burn through the gloom. Come a brand new day, shine in my room. Need to feel the light of day. Don't got nobody What's left to lose But the life I live And the road I choose Nowhere to go Life on the run Ain't got no hope But the trigger of a gun Lord deliver me from evil Show me the way Got four of a kind And no money to play Need to feel the light of day Feel the light of day the darkness from my room Falling like rain Every door that opens Is a chance to take Dark clouds of sunshine It's just a point of view My clouds are fading With the sky so blue I can feel the light of day Feel the light of day Chase the darkness from my room
that day. Mm-hmm. We need to feel that day. Mm-hmm. We need to feel that day. Mm-hmm. New strings. <laughs> A lot of people out there may know that you used to be in the Sheryl Crow band. Yeah. So what is Sheryl Crow like? Very driven, very professional. We didn't do anything that she wasn't willing to do. So, I mean, she was a real hard worker. And, of course, that paid off. Great writer, great singer. Really wonderful keyboard player, which most people don't realize. But she's yeah, very strong on the keyboards was playing guitar and actually got into playing bass. And, you know, so she's another one of those that plays a few instruments and really talented person, really talented. How did you meet her? Well, it's interesting. She's originally from Missouri. She was born and raised in Kennett, Missouri, which is down in what they call the boot heel, which is that little part that juts down at the bottom, I think, near the Arkansas border. She wound up coming up to the St. Louis area, was a school teacher, I think, in Eureka for a while in kind of the Fenton area. And met a guy by the name of Jay Oliver, who's a keyboard player producer that was in St. Louis at that time. And we used to get hired to do jingles and, you know, sing and do different things for that stuff. So there were a couple of sessions that her and I wound up singing together, which is where we originally met. And then Peter at that time had a group called PM, and she was a backup singer for that group as well. So it's interesting how small the world is. Then she wound up moving to L.A. and got hooked up with Michael da- Jackson and Don Henley and all these people and sort of toured the world and kind of got things going and started getting her writing out there. And then, it, you know, you go a few years and next thing you know, there's a phone call and, and somebody saying she's looking to put a band together, wants to get people from, from Missouri as opposed to, you know, the, I guess, the L.A. kind of thing. Yeah, next thing I knew, she showed up to a gig with her manager, and which was pretty funny. I think I was singing and playing percussion at the time and was hired the next day to be a guitar player, keyboard player, singer with her, <laughs> which was kind of interesting. But I think she probably remembered me doing that from years before when I used to play with a guy by the name of Ralph Butler, who's also out of St. Louis. So there was a period of time I kind of played percussion and keys and guitar and did sort of that multi-instrumental thing, which is what I ultimately did with her. And interestingly, I didn't wind up, I think the most percussion I played with her for the first two and a half years was some little shaker eggs on leaving Las Vegas. So I was playing keyboards and shakers, and that was the most percussion I played until the second album came out, and then got into more there and started picking up pedal steel and some other things. So it was, it was interesting. I was running all over the stage. It was fun. We were talking earlier, there's going to be a second album, second solo album of yours. Is it going to be more of the same, more blues kind of stuff? Is it going to be different? It is going to be somewhat different. Certainly singer-songwriter oriented still. I I kind of feel like, I mean, there needs to be tunes. And then I really consider myself a multi-instrumentalist. And people often ask, you know, what's your favorite instrument to play? And my stock answer is the one I got at the time. I really like that role of what needs to be there and then to put that in, you know, to sort of be... A filler, hamburger helper, if you want, whatever you want to call it. But that, to me, I don't know. Maybe that's partly a French horn thing. French horn was very much a color instrument. And I always liked that, yeah, that role. It's it's sort of an underrated kind of thing, I guess, in a lot of ways. But, yeah, there's some interesting stuff going on in between the lines there if you really listen. And and that's the kind of stuff I think I get really turned on by. Is uh, So Glad to Be Alive going to be on it? 
on the new album absolutely absolutely yeah that's that's actually one of my oldest tunes and i'm not sure why i didn't put it on the first album get a lot of people that ask me that even and i guess i thought well it's it's such an old tune i just i don't know moved on to some newer things but it's been one that's really held up and people seem to like so yeah i'm i'm going to definitely put it on the next one well, would you like to give the listeners a little sample sure I'd be a happy taste to. This was written kind of thinking about my grandparents and dedicated to my dad. So it's called uh, So Glad to Be Alive. It's a time of year when the bumblebee go buzzy and round the apple tree. Feels like heaven in the summer breeze. No, it makes us boys so glad to be alive I got them honeydew and them baby peas Hot buttered corn make me weak in the knees Catfish jumping just as fat as you please No, it makes us boys so glad to be alive The morning dew on the summer's grass Sparkles like diamond rings The sun goes down The fireflies fill the sky Oh, oh my The night bugs are bugging out a melody As the stars up above begin to wink at me That old moon, he just smiles at me Cause he knows I'm so glad to be alive a diamond ring The sun goes down The fireflies fill the sky Oh, oh my The night bugs are bugging out a melody As the stars up above begin to wink at me That old moon, he just smiles at me Cause he knows I'm so glad to be alive Oh, he knows I'm so glad to be alive mm -hmm. Knows I'm so glad to be alive Da 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 
Cause this boy's so glad to be alive That song has a lot of heart. I love that. Thank you. It's hard to not smile when you hear that. Well, good. <laughs> I guess you were you were having a great day when you wrote that song. Well, and that's it's a beautiful. funny one too. That I was because that's one of those that the chords, the lyrics, and everything. I think that song was written in about an hour and a half. It just somehow just dropped out of the sky. Some of them do that, and some of them you work on. You'll have a lick, and it'll you'll hang on to it for years. Seems like, and then all of a sudden one day something will come out of it. From Feral Crow, you were mentioning how th- you know things always seem to intersect. How did you meet Peter Mayer? Well, Pete and I actually were in a group many years ago called From This Moment On. And it was a group I had played in, and then it kind of went different directions and then sort of reformed with him playing guitar while they were looking to have someone sing and whatever. So I, I was actually like the lead singer percussionist for that. At that time, Pete really wasn't singing at all. We sort of discovered that he could and was like, dude, <laughs> he'll be doing some stuff here. And... Uh, so I guess that was in about uh, 1980 when I met him. So we've known each other about 26 years now. Just looking at, at all of the people that you've played with and opened for, it's really mind-blowing. You know, I was reading about the, you know, the Allman Brothers, Eric Clapton, Don Henley, James Taylor. It's like, wow, it's yeah. a big matzo ball. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was- yeah, it was, it was something. I, that, that was one thing that was really cool about that whole Sheryl Crow thing. We got to meet a lot of heroes, got to play with a lot of really cool people. Eric probably sat in with us uh, half a dozen times at different occasions, which was really cool. Very nice, very nice man. Yeah, Levon Helm, I mean, all kinds. Of, we, did some VH, we did a VH1 honor show, I remember, uh, being in the dressing room, and we were going to be practicing the tune The Weight, which is by the band, which Levon Helm had written. He was actually there. Bonnie Raitt was there. James Taylor was there. Cheryl was there. I mean, there was this whole room full of these people. And she's like, well, Scott, why don't you play the guitar so we can practice the vocals on this stuff? So I'm sitting in a room a little smaller than this with these heavyweights, just smiling from ear to ear because I couldn't believe there I was, you know. Jacob Dylan. Yeah, it was, it was, that was quite a night, actually. That was quite a, quite a deal. When you look back at all these experiences, what would you say is one that really sticks out? And that's probably the one. <laughs> what you say? Well, that is that, definitely one. Definitely yeah, there. to have that many people all on stage. And partly what was cool about that, too, which just a handful of us got to see, they had sound check that day. And they opened that whole show with Stevie Wonder and Stevie Winwood doing Higher Ground and Higher Love. They did this whole kind of thing. And originally for the sound check, Stevie wasn't going to make it. They were going to work with a, a taped thing of him, and everybody would play, and they'd check stuff. Well, at the last minute, he shows up. And there's maybe seven of us out sitting in the Universal Amphitheater. You know, we're just like, oh, man. Yeah, so they just started going, and they kind of took off and did some jamming and stuff. And it was just, it was priceless. It was, yeah, that was amazing. And that was all part of that same day. So it was, yeah, it was quite a treat, quite a treat. There's been, yeah, quite a few really cool events. When we played the whiskey really early on with, uh, with Cheryl in L.A., Don Henley came and sat in with us. And I think a big moment there was being in the dressing room. He came out on an encore, and we did a quick little vocal rehearsal with our bass player, Tad Wadhams, and Cheryl and, and myself and Don Henley, all just a cappella in this little bitty room. And to just 
hear the sound of that with no mics, no nothing. It was the pure, real deal. It was just another one of those priceless moments. You know, you just, it was cool. It was really cool. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of good things. We opened for Bob Dylan. Those were some really cool shows. Crowded House. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of mind-boggling for me, actually. I mean, <laughs> I sometimes have to pinch myself. I guess another one of those moments that came to mind, too, we, we actually got to do the 25th anniversary Woodstock show, the first one they did after the original one. And another weird moment was standing outside a tent where they had a photographer who was taking pictures of, like, Cheryl and all these different people that were a part of the, part of the event. And I remember standing there and looking over, and there's Crosby, Stills, and Nash standing there, and we're at Woodstock. And it was just like, wow, that's, that's pretty wild, you know? And then I guess that rotating stage when you first open up to, I think at that time there was 350, 400,000 people, whatever it was. It's hard to describe what that looks like. It, it's, it's a sea of people. I mean, there's, you see stuff on TV even of things. Yeah, it's hard to describe what that was like. I mean, because you're literally in a city. I mean, it was, it was just amazing. It was amazing. We took a little time to go out and walk out at one point. And it was funny because it was really, in some ways, a lot like the original one. You know, people passed out on the ground or hanging out or whatever. And just, I mean, you just had to, we, it was amazing. It was just a, an ocean of bodies, you know, and press. <laughs> I think every press person in the world was probably there. It was amazing. What do you hope it is that people get from your music? Well, I hope, first off, I hope there's some hope in there. Hopefully some kind of inspiration, some sense of, well, shoot, if this guy can do it. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's part of it. That you can do whatever you want. If, if, you, if you've got it in your head and you've got a mind to do something, you can do it. Dreams do come true. It's pretty wild. So what do you like doing when you're not playing music, recording music, performing I've got three kids. I really like, well, Max is my youngest one. He's nine. He's real into soccer. So we like to get out and kick the soccer ball around a lot. So that's pretty fun. Harry, my middle one, and actually Max, for that matter, are both really good hand drummers, too. They've gotten, and Harry's gotten into set drums quite a bit. He's convinced that's what his calling is. So he's been really doing that. But I'll have him, he's good enough. I have him come in and sit in with my trio quite a bit. He's done gigs with us and stuff. He's 17, and he, he can just play up a storm. And then my oldest one's kind of the brainiac, and he's also a, a guitar player. So he gets the guitar out and plays a lot with iTunes, Beatles tunes. I was so glad to hear he was getting into the Beatles because he went through his corn phase there for a while. And no offense, corn fans, but whew, it was just, you know, it was nice to hear him get to the Beatles, you know. Yeah, I think really hanging out with the kids, you know, I like doing that. I actually do a lot of video work as well. With this Christmas tour we're doing with Peter Mayer, we have a DVD that's out that I. I helped produce and did editing and all that sort of stuff on. And then uh, we're currently actually working with rear projection and everything now on this tour, and I designed all this stuff for that. So video, for me personally, is another thing I really like doing. And frankly, part of the reason I don't even have a, a CD out, a new CD out right now, is because I actually had a DVD of my group at uh, the Sheldon Concert Hall, which is this wonderful theater in St. Louis. Got the whole thing done, you know, had it shot, did all this editing, interviews, all these sort of things, and got it all ready to go, and the hard drive died. <laughs> so the whole thing just like vapor, it just went away. And so I was kind of crushed for a while and then tried to see what I could do to resurrect it and to no avail, and I just figured, well, okay, I guess that's just, you know, how it's meant to be. 
So I'll, I'll do a CD and I'll get back to the video part on me. And in the meantime, I've been able to, again, with Pete, work on some things, which has been just really a lot of fun. So it's cool. So you think we have time for one more song? Yeah, I think so. Let me see if What's I got your, a tune. Uh, Girl of My Dreams. Yeah, this is another one I've had for quite a while. This is probably my second oldest tune, really. Uh, but another one that apparently seems to hold up. And uh, people seem to think if there's a single on the album, it's between maybe this one and um, Somebody's Thinking. So uh, I'll do that for you now. Girl of My Dreams.
then it's morning and I've realized that you can't even hold me cause visions are meant to be told me that this is an ocean of a question. But my last question to you is, since that this program goes out all over the world, what would you, R. Scott Bryan, like to say to the world? Peace. Peace. Yeah. Let's all live in peace. Well spoken. Thanks. Thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. It was an honor. Thank you, Paul. Likewise. I really appreciate it. We thank you and appreciate you dropping in for the Paul Leslie Hour today. You know, you can help the Paul Leslie Hour in our mission to provide independent media content like this by visiting www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. We truly thank you. This is your announcer speaking. Performance of The Entertainer intro song and Corina Corina outro song, courtesy of John Primerano. Well, that's it for today. So until next time, be safe and be good. <laughs>